Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What can we make of these Portland Trailblazers? I'm confused. I know that. I imagine. Andrew Thien also is confused. He's joining me, Aaron Fentress, beat writer for The Oregonian, on the Blazer-focused podcast. Andrew, real quick, I'm sure you watched the last couple of games. I did. What do you make of a 50-point swing (laughs) or or so between getting blasted at the Clippers and then coming back and thumping the Grizzlies? And, of course, before the Clippers beat down, they destroyed the defending Western Conference champions 134-105. to I am thoroughly confused, and I watched all three games closely. What do you think? The agony and the ecstasy, Aaron. You know, I mean, that's what the the phrase that uh, pops into my mind. I mean, um, yeah, we've they've shown a little bit of everything through these first four games. If they've shown, um, you know, after the Suns game, as Chauncey said, you know, that might be as perfect as they could play. And then uh, to turn around the other uh, the next you know, a couple nights later against the Clippers and turn it over 30 times is kind of an exceptional uh, whiplash. But um, it's a team that's trying to figure itself out. I mean, a, a lot of this happens, um, you know, even when it's not a new coach at the beginning of a year, sometimes there's some growing pains and working in new players and whatnot. So I think a lot of it's to be expected, but the the swings have been so dramatic. It's been a little bit hard to wrap your mind around, right? It is thoroughly confusing. I mean, I I knew after the Phoenix game that that was just one of those nights. Like, there was no way this team just all of a sudden magically became just amazing (laughs) after that horrible preseason and then losing to Sacramento, right? It just didn't make any sense. And Phoenix was on a back-to-back, road game back-to-back, and then just beating the Lakers, you Mm -hmm. know. But, you know, they still looked really good. There's no doubt Portland looked really good. But I was also completely surprised that they had a complete meltdown at the Clippers. 30 turnovers, really? That's You almost have to try to commit 30 turnovers. Your center had six. How does a center get six turnovers? He doesn't handle the ball <laughs> enough to get six turnovers. That's That just doesn't even make any sense. Uh, but, you know, Billups said, hey, we didn't come to play. We didn't come to compete. And I just, that drives me bananas. It, you know, over the course of 82-game season, if I hear that, Eight to ten times I could see it because you got back to backs in the dog days with road trips and blah, you know, et cetera. But when I'm, I've already heard that now in two regular season games. <laughs> I heard that for two preseason games. How are these guys not giving maximum effort every single second? I don't get that. But anyway, they gave better effort last night and they won. They were down 57 51. Now, the first half, mm-hmm. they allowed 31 threes and 
Memphis hit 17 and a ton of them were completely wide open and a lot from the corner. Like it was crazy how many times guys were just standing in the corner, like, you know, getting them, getting the manicure and a pedicure, <laughs> waiting, waiting for the ball. Then they get the ball and they you know, let the person finish and then shoot the shot because there's just no one near them. Like it was crazy. Um, but second half, they clamped down on that a little bit, held them to fewer threes and, and Memphis hit fewer. But aside from all the, the team playing well, not playing well, the, the, the main story for the season right now, and I think most people realistically would take two and two. I think if you're a Blazer fan, I think you would take two and two right now playing the Clippers, Phoenix, and Memphis. I think in, in Sacramento, sure. you just would, you just might think that you would have beaten Sacramento and lost to Phoenix, right? But what the main story by far is what the hell is going on with Damian Lillard? Like this is, and he, I don't want to make too much of it because I do believe, and, and I wrote about this the other day that Bad games for stars happens and they're random things. And if they happen in the middle of the season, when you've already been killing it for two months, no one cares. But when it's the first four games of the season and that's all you have, and then you look at someone's stats and they're sitting there, like someone like Lillard at 33% shooting, 17.1 on threes, and he's taking 8.8 per game, averaging 17.8 points per game. Last year, he averaged 28.8. On 19.9 shots, he's only shooting two fewer shots per game. And in part, that's because he didn't play in the fourth quarter (laughs) against the Clippers. He didn't play in the fourth quarter against the Suns, right? And he barely played at all in the fourth. No, he was until with five minutes to go, I think, in the Memphis game. Anyway, Anyway, so he wasn't getting as many minutes. So he's down 11 points per game with pretty much the same shots. It's incredible. Like, what are you thinking when you're watching this guy clank up? And some of these misses are not even bricks. They're like, what's what's worse than a brick? They're, like, when, <laughs> when it hits just the side of the rim, it goes thunk. Yeah. Like, you're like, what is what are you doing? So anyway, what do you think? What do you, what do you make of this entire ordeal for him right now? Well, I think you, as you kind of noted in in the data piece that um, you and uh Dave Kanzler and uh, Brad Schmidt put together um, and reported out as well. Um, you know, it, it felt like, wow, this has to be the worst stretch of Dame's career, right? Um, but it's it's what, top five, I think, something like that um, in terms yeah. of uh, his struggles. I, I think it hits harder because it's at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, Dame kind of tends to have these stretches Um and then he'll, he'll go supernova and he'll, and he'll shoot like <laughs> right. 55, 60% from threes and make like seven or eight a game over a four or five game stretch. So I'm not super concerned. Um, last night in the Memphis game, it was nice to see him have a few moments where, you know, those classic Dame just devastating shots where it just hits hard in the moment as a viewer mm-hmm. and I'm sure as a player. So, um, it, I think they'll get there. Uh, he, he, you know, I, I guess I was surprised to hear that the stats are so comparable given, as you mentioned, he, he didn't play in the fourth quarter in half the games. Um, so, you know, I'm, I don't think it's panic mode by any stretch of the imagination, but um, you, you hope that sometime in the next three or four games that we, we see a, a really signature Dame game where, you know, he makes five or six and, uh, and looks good in the process, but I, I'm sure we're going to see that soon. Yeah, so the Memphis game, he ends the game 6 of 22. Uh, 4 of 11 from threes, though. So he's, his three-point shooting was obviously better than it had been because coming into the game, he was 2 for 22, 8.3%. Mm-hmm. Gets 20 points. Um, but his big quarter was the third quarter. So at halftime, 
Lillard was sitting at, I think, two of, two of 11. Let me call it up here. Yeah, two for 11, one for four on threes. Um, he did have, he did have five assists. Uh, we'll get, I'll get into more of that later. But in the third quarter, they're down by six. They come out, they get six straight points to tie the game. Lillard had an assist to Nurkic. McCullum had an assist to Nurkic. And then McCullum had an 18 foot, foot jumper. And then <clears throat> shortly after that, over like a three minute stretch, Lillard hit three threes. Right. Now, what was interesting about it from watching from the stand or from the, from press row was that they came without running the offense. Like they didn't, they've been doing a ton of ball movement, a ton of player movement, um, which is what Billups wants because he wants more paint touches. He wants the ball in more people's hands. He doesn't want his jack up early threes. And so, but during that stretch when Lillard got hot, it was completely out of that style of offense. It was just him doing what he would do a lot last year where he would get the ball, maybe get a screen or do a step back or whatever. Like I'm shooting it. I'm taking it. This guy can't guard me. And then he'd nail it. And that would be what we would call Lillard time. Right. Yeah. And so I asked Billups about, you know, how once again, because one of the theories and, and Dame has talked about this a little bit too, is that because they're running this offense, He's getting his shots differently than when he would just pretty much, as the point guard, decide, well, I'm shooting, right? As opposed to running the offense and getting it back. And so that changes sort of your mentality. And he said, you know, I'm trying to run the offense as opposed to look to score. And if you're looking to score as a scorer, you're going to pick your spots and get into a certain type of rhythm as opposed to I'm running this offense, I'm running this offense. Oh, now I got the ball and I'm open. Right. Okay, I'll shoot it. But it's just a different mentality, a different rhythm. But in that third quarter, he was back to doing what he normally did and killed it. So Billups said, though, he didn't he didn't think it's that big of a deal. That it's just he's just not making shots. And I agree he's not making shots yet. But I absolutely do believe that it's just a completely different rhythm for him that he's having to adjust to from being shoot first point guard to I'm trying to be a part of the offense. Yeah. And let's not minimize, you know, obviously he, he was top 10 in assists last year and, and is a, you know, he, he, he does distribute the ball, but I think you're, you hit on a, on a point that, that maybe he, he has felt he has to restrict that uh, go for the jugular uh, moment, but yeah, the the stretch you mentioned at third quarter, I think he hit a three to go up sixty six sixty two, and that was like, oh, there, there's Dame, that's Dame right there. So, um, I, I would imagine that Chauncey wants his guys to be themselves, especially uh, <laughs> when it's when it's your superstar. Um, so he's got to find the balance, right? Of when do you when do you go supernova like that, and when do you you know work the ball around the horn? So, uh, it's only four games. We'll see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. And you can, I mean, you can be a shooter first guy and still get assists, but it, it's still just, it's your, your approach. Like it's different it's than John different, Morant, right? It's a different, yeah, field. it's just a different, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a different approach that he's having to have. Now he said <clears throat> that he heard Memphis players uh, calling out one through five, which meant they were going to be switching on everyone. And Billups said that if a team is switching like that, that running their motion offense, which is designed to get guys open against straight man, isn't as necessary because now if Dame's covered by Morant and you run some kind of screen or pick and roll or anything that produces a situation where two defenders have to make a decision to either switch or fight through a screen and they're mm-hmm. going to switch, then you're going to end up on someone who isn't as good as guarding you in space. 
And so when that happens, Lillard, was, Lillard said he told Billups, leave me out here for this entire quarter. He ends up playing 12 minutes of the quarter because he wanted to sort of hunt hunt for his shots against that type of defense, knowing that they were moving away from their normal offense and reverting back to what they normally would do last season, no matter what anyone was doing. <laughs> and so, and that's where his three three pointers came from. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of kind of interesting. So you know, look, he's going to come out of it. He's going to get more into rhythm. I still love the idea of him being off ball a lot more. I love him sort of almost, it's almost like playing the Allen Iverson role where he's your point guard, but he's also <laughs> kind of your, your shooting guard as well. Um, because he's a high volume scorer. Um, so I, I think as he gets more comfortable in that, those shots are going to start falling. And then that's when the offense really is going to start taking off because if he were shooting, I mean, think about it. If he were just shooting reasonably well right now, yeah. how many more points they would have? Yeah. Well, you know, like it, it's, Sorry, uh, play, yeah. shooting six of 20, 22, that, that's Those are AI numbers right there. So I guess he's playing, playing that <laughs> Sometimes role. Sometimes those were, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes those were. Um, but, you know, as Billups said, I love everything else he's doing. I mean, he, you know, we talked about the minutes he's missed because of uh, blowouts either way. You know, he has eight assists. He averaged seven and a half last year. In uh, in more minutes, he's averaging eight right now. If he would, if they had played four quarters every game, he'd be at ten. He's had ten twice already. Yeah. So he, you know, he's doing point guard things, and his defensive rating going into that game was one hundred eight, um, which is whereas last year it was one about one sixteen. So he's playing better defense. It's just weird that his, his it's almost like his, he's become a, a defensive minded point guard who can't shoot after being an offensive minded point guard who can't play D. It's kind of it's kind of funny, but that that'll work itself out. The one person who's not struggling with any of this though, yeah, who is just tearing it up like he did last year is C.J. McCollum, <laughs> who actually his style of play doesn't necessarily change as much in this system because he's not the primarily primary ball handler. He's used to playing off the ball and having the ball end up in his hands and then mm-hmm. he shoots it. And so this system is getting him some very nice looks. He's shooting 49% from the field. He's shooting 47.6% on threes. Last year, remember, he got off to a really – great start. And I, I think he was shooting 44% on threes before he hurt his foot. Now he's at 47.6. And he's taking 10.5 per game, whereas last year he took 8.9, averaging 26.8 points, which is a career high. Again, we're four games in. But C.J. McCollum is absolutely feeling it, and he's carrying this offense, especially when you consider how much Lillard is struggling. Yeah, and uh, devoted listeners of the pod will know that uh... – this was a prediction <laughs> that that you had from the get go. Um, he's gonna go you know, bonkers. This is a guy who, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that he, you know, he wasn't he wasn't quite right in the playoffs. Um, you know, he wasn't quite healthy from uh, his injury that sidelined him for such a huge chunk of the year. And this is a guy that you know, beyond all the the uh, trade rumors and um, and all that, as we've discussed, he's I mean, he's at a really good place in his life. He's uh, married. He's expecting a kid. He's the president of the players union. And he started he's, a vineyard, um, a veteran. <laughs> he's got yeah, he's, 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 a, he's starting a, a renaissance man. <laughs> <laughs> he is right. Going back to the agony and the ecstasy uh, from the beginning. Right. Part of part of the uh, whole motif. Yeah, no, it's it's. It's good to see because, you know, going into last year, the way he was playing, everyone was like, this is the year that 
you know, CJ McCollum is playing like an all-star and, and he absolutely has, uh, has played like an all-star through four games. Um, and, uh, hopefully, you know, this continues, he stays healthy and it's just, it's great to see. Exactly. And, and this is why, you know, I've heard that the Blazers were extremely hesitant about moving him for Ben Simmons. One, because he was really blossoming last year and they believed he was going to do well in this system. And he's just such a, a fierce scorer and an adult <laughs> and he wants to be in Portland and there might be a lot of different reasons why one would think, well, okay, you get Ben Simmons, you start pile up the two, you got Simons coming off the bench. We'll talk about him in a minute. And quite frankly, yep. if Ben Simmons is his right, I, I think you're a better all around team if you do that. But that said, McCollum right now has a 103.1 defensive rating, whereas last year was 112.8. Um, and like I said, Lillard's is, is better as well. So based on analytics, you know, Phillips' plan for defense is working itself out. And some might say, well, what about the Clipper game? Clipper game, the defense actually wasn't all that bad. If you give up 30 turnovers, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. you're, you're giving, you're taking 30 shots from yourself and giving them, well, mo- unless they turn it over back to you right away, you're giving them at least 25 extra shots to the other team. Uh, but anyway, the point is he's playing like, he's an all-star right now. Like he's the best player on the team right now. Yeah. Um, so this is the reason why they were hesitant and if he continues, like, I mean, he's not going to shoot 48% from threes, but if he stays over 40, if he stays at, you know, 46% from the field, if, you know, he keeps putting up these numbers all season and he stays being a solid defender, then yeah, one could definitely make the argue that making that deal, especially giving up the, the boatload of picks that Philly wants, doesn't make any sense. And, um, you know, I still think in the playoffs, it's a liability to have three small guards, but the bottom line is CJ is just crushing it. Yeah, he's uh he's got his hands in the passing lanes. He's gotten some huge uh steals at key moments like in the Kings game. Ultimately, it didn't, you know, they they weren't able to, you know, Dame's shot didn't didn't fall, but um yeah, it, it's it's noticeable to the, you know, I think just an average viewer that there's more effort defensively from your two best players. Um, and so that's, that's huge, but yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about the kids. Cause that's been one of the big storylines of the year. So yeah. Far. You know what? We're supposed to be objective as journalists and, and, and I get that, but I violate all that stuff when it comes to Anthony Simons. That's my dude. And it, it, the thing, it, the thing for me is it goes back to when he got drafted, when I was working at NBC Everyone was freaking out. They need a wing. We need a wing. We don't need no point guard. That's the last thing we need. This is a stupid pick. And my stance was, look, dude, you basically traded a late first round pick for a, for a 2019 lottery pick. Cause had Simon's gone to Louisville, he would have been a lottery pick. This is a genius pick. It's just going to take some time. So I'm, I'm kind of like emotionally invested in it because <laughs> I talked a lot of trash <laughs> at the time and it's taken some time, but I've stuck with him, but he started to show it last year when he was shot 42% from three, which led the team. But what he didn't show last year was ability to uh, create other shots for himself, which wasn't his fault because Stotts limited him. And two, this was his fault at the time. His court vision admittedly was not good enough to warrant point guard minutes because he just didn't see the floor very, very well. That has completely changed. This guy is growing right before our eyes into a legit point guard. I'm not saying that's going to necessarily be his number one position. He could just be a combo guard all his life with point guard abilities at times. But some of the 
things he's seeing. Like he made a, he made not well, kind of cross court pass, bounce pass of someone in the corner. He would have never seen that last year mm-hmm. on, a, on a drive coming left. First of all, he elevated just like way over his guy and then slung a two handed pass while in the air across the court to McCullum in the corner. Those were things he was not doing last year. One, he wasn't being asked to as much. And two, he just didn't have the skill set and the vision to do it. Now he's adding that to his game. And he's, he's like, or Billups wasn't lying because in the past, CJ was the de facto backup point guard. So they, that's why they never really worried about having yeah. a veteran backup point guard and didn't get one last year. But Billups said, I want Simons to be our backup point guard and I'm going to give him those minutes. And he's doing that. And Simons is absolutely 100% delivering. He's not, he's only averaging two, two, two assists. And this is why I still wonder if he's ever going to be a true point guard. But two assists in 22.5 minutes, you'd like to see more. But he's shooting 53.5% from the field and 47.8 on threes while taking 5.8. It's not like he's coming off the bench and taking two or three. He's taking about six a game. What have been your impressions of this young man so far this season? Yeah, I mean it's it's like it, it's so fun to watch it actually happen because you know there's been the, <laughs> the the shadow media campaign for a couple summers now of these glowing features in national outlets about Anthony Simons and how he's the best you know he's just blowing people away and in the off season workouts I think this is even pre pandemic and you kind of wonder is this just like blowing smoke I mean is this trying to you know uh, I don't know, fluff him up, uh, as trade fodder, <laughs> like what is going on here? <laughs> um, so it's, it's just been, um, it's been great to see him play, uh, free. Um, you know, obviously he's averaging 14 and a half points a game as well, which is huge for this team to have that, um, scoring pop off the bench, but it's not even just that it's just the way he's moving around the court the the way uh he just looks is different um he looks like a player who's empowered mm-hmm. um Absolutely. you know which that's that's yes. huge so as a fan it's been it's been really exciting to see um cuz and he's still what only 22 <laughs> yes, years old so um it's 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 great yeah he's 20, 22 and almost a half he's not even 22 and a half yet uh yeah it's 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 fun to watch it's, it, I've always been the type of fan. Most a lot of fans are like this, you know, whether it's baseball or football or basketball, watching a young guy blossom in front of you. Had Simon's gone, I've said this for two years, had Simon's gone to any other team in the league, <laughs> he'd be starting right now, either as the two guard or the point guard. He just went to a team that had two dudes playing his position that, you know, he just became redundant and he was young. But if he were somewhere else right now, he would be killing it for someone. As a matter of fact, I tweeted last night after it was after one of his one of those two passes I talked about. It wasn't even while he was um, killing it with his with his shooting, because he had 14 points in the first half, Billups and um, Lillard said last night that he basically was keeping them afloat while the offense was struggling and the defense was getting torched a, a bit there. Um, but let me check it out. Make sure I got this right here. Yeah, he, he was in the first half five of seven, four or five on threes for 14 points. Um, just obviously was the best player on on the team in the in the first half, but. I tweeted out Anthony Simons for Ben Simmons. Who says no? <laughs> and, so, and my point was, and some people didn't understand my point. I, I, my sarcasm, I guess, sometimes doesn't hit with people. <laughs> my dry humor. Like, but yeah. my point was, A, I'm saying Anthony Simons is so good right now that maybe you wouldn't even consider trading him for Ben Simmons, even though we all know that 
Portland would hang up and laugh if that was the call. But at the same time, you kind of are like, well, you know what? Yeah, he's not as good as Ben Simmons, but he could be in a couple of years and he keeps looking like this. So I just, I love his trajectory. And I don't think that the shooting is a fluke. Like, again, he's not going to be at 48% from three, I doubt. <coughs> but he shot 42 last year. I think that's just who he is. He's, yeah. And his stroke is smooth. And if you notice, too, when his makes go in, the, the net doesn't move that much. Like, he just has the the... The way the ball f- fl- flies into the net is at such a straight up and down trajectory that it just doesn't move the net that much. It makes it seem more pu- pure to me. Anyway, am I am I just being too much of a fanboy at this moment, or do you follow me? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I I I'm there with you, and and there are a couple assists that you were left on the table last night too. He had a great play where he drove and slung it across the court to Nance, who um, had a great wide open, you know, in rhythm three attempt that rimmed out. So I mean, he's he's making good decisions out there, um, and um, again, he just looks comfortable and he looks like he has uh looks like he knows what he's doing and he's confident right now which is um very very important for young players but should we transition to the other uh young buck out yeah. there who um you know uh nasir yeah, a little yeah, one quick point on simon's though you know neil losha is gonna have a, a tough decision well i don't think i don't think it's gonna be tough but he's gonna have to he's gonna have to come correct with a big contract if this kid keeps playing like this because he's gonna receive heavy attention um very, very soon. Okay, Nasir Little. So this is another guy we, we kept hearing rave reviews about from behind closed doors. Didn't really see it last year. One of the things I wrote about this last year and I wrote about this coming into this year is that people were talking about his improved shooting. But if you really looked at his game log and followed it, his best games came in blowouts either way. And a lot of the shots that he was making came in when the game was over and it was kind of meaningless. And if you took those those games out and you just looked at his performances when he played, when games were in doubt, his shooting percentages were not good at all. But I think he's shown so far this year that he has indeed improved his shooting. He's shooting 40% on threes, 57.7 overall. But aside from the nine points and the five rebounds, he he just impacts what's happening out on the court. It's almost, and I'm not saying he's the next Dennis Rodman, but it's Rodman-esque in that every time you look up, He's got his nose in something. Like he's flying in trying to get offensive rebounds. He's flying in trying to get defensive rebounds. He's setting screens. He's locking up guys on defense. He's coming weak side and trying to block shots. Um, he's averaging a, a, a shot block per game, even though he's only playing 25 minutes and he's having to do so many other different things. So I, I, I think he's another guy, another late first round pick for Neil O'Shea, who's coming into his own and finding a role on this team. He started the last two games because Norman Powell has been out with a knee injury, but he was, he and Simons were the first two guys off the bench to begin with. So he was still having an impact even when, when, uh, Powell was starting and playing. But yeah, he's, he's someone who's definitely making a mark. Yeah. He's a guy that really, I don't, I, we talked about this last time. I think I, I just don't really frankly care what his stats right. say um it's all about just the effort because he you know chauncey has talked about him being the most athletic guy in the team and when he plays like that especially you know in the sun's game you um you know he, he was just all over the place and impacting the game and screaming and just really uh demonstrative and fun and th- that this team has lacked that guy um 
for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so ha- having that type of personality, I think, is is huge in addition to just the effort plays. Um, and again, a guy who just looks comfortable out there um, in his what is this third year, third. fourth year? Um, third, third year, um, given all the litany of stuff he's gone through that we talked about the COVID and the, you know, and all those injuries his rookie year, the concussion, all the injuries, the bubble. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're, you know, again, it's only four, four games, but you've got to be encouraged. So oh far. yeah. I mean, the fact that he and Simons have absolutely stepped up their, you know, their maturity level and their contribution to this team and the energy and athleticism they bring. It, it's just huge for this roster because it does, it, it helps them make up for the fact that they have so much money tied up in their starting five and that they had to go out and get only minimum guys, Macklemore, Snell, who hasn't played yet with an ankle injury and, and Macklemore's not even in the rotation, which is a little surprising to me, but whatever. And then, um, Zeller clearly is, has been huge, um, for them. But if, if you're, if you have a, a, a cap heavy starting five, which I think their starting five is like 117 million <laughs> and the cap's 112, right. right? But it's not really a, a championship caliber roster, not, not necessarily because you just don't have the star power. And then that limits your ability to go out and get more dudes and improve your bench beyond minimum guys then your draft picks had better be coming through because one, they're cheap, right? And two, you're just going right. to need them. And those two are the, you know, basically the sixth and seventh men on this team. And then that, then you got Zilla. Then you still have Snell coming at some point. And then you still have McLemore. So yeah, those two coming into their own is absolutely huge for this team. And without it, if those two were still struggling and inconsistent and you couldn't rely on them, then the Blazers would be in huge trouble right now. Totally agree. Yeah. So I, I guess now it's just four game sample size, but uh, a lot to build on. And, um, you know, we're, they're, they're going to be pivotal players the whole season. What will be interesting to see is if teams start coming after Simons, offering maybe a more mature veteran semi-star and then Neil Oshie has to make a decision. Okay, do I move Simons, who I'm going to have to pay a lot as my third guard and get this person if they fit and they truly make us better and they might mm-hmm. be 30, right, which falls in line with CJ and Dame and Norman and Nurkic for that matter. Like, it'll be interesting to see if that happens or if Neil is like, I'm not giving up Simons no matter what. Well, kind of given the track record of of his guys, um, <laughs> I, I I don't I don't see him moving Anthony Simons, um, but maybe his maybe track I record. Think, What's his track record, CJ? Well, yeah, and Dan, well, I mean that's fair enough. I mean, who who other you know of of his guys that he holds dear, right? I don't know who who are the guys he holds most dear. <laughs> well, Damon CJ, of course, but there's yeah. there's never I don't know. I don't believe there's ever. I don't believe there's ever been a, oh, you have to make that trade offer for CJ. I, I think there's been like, eh, maybe, but anyway. It's a, it's a fair, it's a fair question that you brought up. I mean, maybe that happens. Um, and maybe that's what moves the needle, but then, you know, Blazer fans will be having a uh, flashbacks to Jermaine O'Neal. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and rightfully so, and rightfully so. Yeah. But it's, it's also almost the same argument as Gary Trent. Like they moved Trent for Powell because Powell is a more mature, more polished version of what Trent, 
is and Trent might be mm-hmm. someone like Powell in a few years, but in a few years, Lillard's going to be 35 and you're not, you're not worried about that at this point. Anyway, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens for me though. I do not trade Simons. Like I'm just <laughs> like, I, I increase his minutes um, because here's the thing. Like if you keep Simons and then three, two, three years from now, Dame wants out or whatever happens, who knows, or you end up trading, trading CJ yeah. Simons is your centerpiece for what for for moving forward and you know i think he's going to be i think his floor is cj a more athletic version of cj and i absolutely 100 percent believe that and so anyway we'll see you are listening to the blazer focus podcast we'll be right back after a short break All right, moving on. Nurkic, we, we, I mentioned earlier, six turnovers against the Clippers. He talked about, you know, forcing some things that night. The offense wasn't going well, and he was trying to make things happen. Chauncey Billups uh, said that he told Nurkic, hey, you know, just just hit singles. Stop trying to hit the home run. If it's not there, it's not there. Don't try and force it. Don't try and make the spectacular play. Just run the offense. We need you to be a facilitator, but you have to be smart mm-hmm. with it. And he felt Nurkic did that. Now, Nurkic didn't have any assists, but you can still be moving the ball and helping generate, you know, almost like hockey assists, right? By moving the ball well and making smart decisions with the ball. But he did have 17 points, eight rebounds on uh, eight shots, six of eight from the floor. And he did a good job on Steven Adams, who had a very miserable night. I think he had only four points and four fouls or something like that. Um, so and Billups commented on the job he did on Adams. So what, what do you make of Nurk and what do you make of him so far through four games? We talked about this con- confusing team at the outset, and and I think Nurk is the guy that uh, I I just I don't have rational thoughts about because <laughs> sometimes I'm just like, man, he did not play well, uh, and this has kind of been my mo with him for years. And then I'll look up and he, and he, you know, will have like 18 points and 11 rebounds, and so maybe I have like unrealistic expectations for him or something. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, he's he's been up and down. I mean. It, you know, in the in the Kings game, uh, Cody Zeller was the best big on the team uh, up until the fourth quarter, and Nurk turned it on and, and played quite well down the stretch. And you know, I feel like um, the Clippers game. I <laughs> this might be reading too much into it, but whenever all the the former Yugoslavian uh, republics, you know, you got the Croatians and the the Bosnians and the Serbs and all those big guys go against each other, I, I always wonder if there's something. Um, you, there's a lot of added pressure there, I think of, um, and I, and I feel like he kind of struggles against Zubots. I feel like that's something I've noticed through the years. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but like, I, I don't know. Like last night I was, I was thinking, ah, oh, he's, he's not playing that well or he's playing okay. And, you know, but at the same time, he's not getting in foul trouble. Uh, he's staying on the court. Um, that's kind of what they need from him more than anything else is to be there to be present and to be consistent. Um, so I think I'm just going to try to be more patient in my assessment of Nurk because, uh, he, he is trying to feel it out just like everyone else. Right. You know, to me, if he, when he's playing at a borderline all-star level, this team is a threat 
to beat any team in the West in this series. I truly believe that. I'm talking about 20 and 11, high efficiency, rim protection, not getting a bunch of fouls, right? Um, but he's just not, he's never proven to be capable of doing, of, car- of carrying that on for a long time, let alone for an entire playoff series, let alone, you know, for right. three straight playoff series, right? Because he broke his leg the year they went, the furthest they've, they've ever gone. So we don't know how capable he is of, of being that guy. But the last thing you want is for him to get in your way, right? If you're not going to be spectacular, just do the same types of things we asked Nasir to do, you know, mm-hmm. rebound, play defense, do well in the pick and roll, set some screens, you know, uh, make some nice handoff passes to Dame and CJ or backdoor passes to those guys. Just, just be a physical presence that has an impact without, hurting the team like he did with the Clippers in the Clippers game. He, the whole team was garbage, but you know, he, he was hurting them. Don't be that guy. Um, and so I'm just, I just, you know, hoping he stays healthy, which would right. be the first time he's been healthy for an entire season since he got to the Blazers. I want to see how this plays out with him. If he can find some semblance of consistency, because if he does, that's where the 50 wins for me become automatic. Um, but sometimes he, he's, he's a little, he's a little frustrating, but you just have to take the good with the bad and just say, don't make the bad be really, really bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good way to put it. I mean, honestly, I just, every year I feel like I, I put unrealistic expectations on his performance that, um, you know, I, I, I don't think he's ever going to be an all-star. Maybe that's selling him short. Um, I just don't think that's, that's a. I don't think that's possible um, because he, he has not shown that level of consistency uh, and consistent excellence. But, you know, if he does all the things that you just mentioned, he, just the mere presence of his large body, who is, you know, he, he's he's good at protecting the paint, um, you know, that that's key. Um, and, and if he can do that, then then they'll be, you know, in good shape. But you know, I, I have found myself, you know, last night there's a lot of Cody Zeller, um, you know, Cody Zeller does a lot of good things too. So it's, but again, he's got the injury woes that, <laughs> that we've highlighted as well. So, uh, I guess we're just in TBD mode on, on a lot of this, but, um, I, I'm curious to see if, if Nurk can put a stretch together of staying out there, staying healthy, staying engaged for, you know, half a season, I guess then we'll know more. As for Zeller, off the bench, 24 minutes, 10 points, 7 rebounds. He did have 5 personal fouls, but that's okay. He was 3 for 4 from the field. If your backup center is giving you that, you're in pretty good shape, I believe. So, all-around good win for them. No doubt about that. But next up, a rematch with the Clippers, who took them to town the other day. But then, as is the NBA, the Clippers come back two nights later, hosting Mm -hmm. Cleveland. And lost ninety-two to seventy-nine. Make it make sense, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> the NBA is a cluster. It's just a circus. It's just random, bizarro world every night in this league. It is, and you know you can talk yourself into a loss on or win on every night. It feels like when you look at the schedule, um, Evan Mobley is uh, turning another one of those guys who you know Taylor made for for the NBA and the college game. Um, obviously USC was pretty good last year, but, um, he, he sure looks a lot better so far as a pro. Um, yeah, I don't know in terms of the Clippers game on Friday, you're, you're going to expect 
both teams best efforts right um the clippers will be rested it's the first game of a road trip that's usually when the you know usually teams are are going to put their best foot forward um if it's a long trip uh a veteran team you know with a a good coach and i i don't know i i think if the blazers uh lose i wouldn't be surprised but if they lose in the same fashion that they did the other night uh that would be distressing but uh i i think it should be a a good game and hopefully hopefully a closer game without 30 turnovers well yeah i mean i would expect that there's no way they play as bad as they did the other night but yeah i think everyone just wants to see them put together back to back good games again it's early in the season but you know the the fact that they went you know great against phoenix horrible against clippers and then darn good against memphis you want to see that even out a little bit and be mostly goods <laughs> and this clippers team's not all that they're one and three and they don't have Kawhi. there's no reason why the blazers should lose this game to be honest with you but the nba is so random like listen to this this team let me give you some stats for a team shot 40 yeah. percent 15% on threes and committed 20 turnovers. That was the Cavaliers against the Clippers. How do you win a game by 13 <laughs> shooting that horribly from three and committing 20 turnovers? And the Clippers shot better from three, but took way more. They took twice as many, 41, and made nine, shot 22%. That's not good at all. Committed fewer turnovers. And when you, but rebounds, I mean, Cavaliers dominated rebounds and without looking at the expanded box, I'm sure they killed in second chance points, but it just shows just how random this league can be. But the Clippers are not that good. Portland to me is if they played a series, Portland wins that series without Kawhi. I absolutely believe that. So the other night to me was an absolute fluke. I think the Blazers come out and finally show that they can put together back to back good games under billups yeah i mean that's the that's the hope for sure and then you got um you got the hornets on sunday which uh the spooky halloween uh game that that should be fun and um lamello is must-see tv so uh (laughs) i'm so happy for jordan i'm so happy that jordan finally got a star (laughs) he finally got a legit star it's been so long and so hard for him to try and find somebody draft the right person it's just uh I, of course i love me some michael jordan so i'm I'm glad he's finally got a guy oh uh, i'm just happy that he's not in golden state so uh we can thank oh uh golden state for for messing that up oh yeah they're gonna regret that um okay before we uh sign off i got one little personal thing to mention so i've covered nfl college football some college basketball um this is my first time covering the NBA, and so I booked my first road trip. Mm. Four cities, <laughs> which I'd never done in my life. So I was advised by Joe Freeman, pick one airline and just roll with it and get the miles. But it's hard to do that because of timing and when you got to get into the next city, when they take off, and then price. Like one plane ticket will be 400 and going to the same place for another airline will be 150 and I'm sure the Oregonian, Oregonian wants you to pick the 151. But right as of right now, I fly to PDX. I fly from Portland to LA on Alaska. Then I go from LA to Phoenix on Delta. Then I go from Phoenix to Houston on United. Then I haven't oh. finalized my Houston to Denver trip yet, but I think it's it might be American. I kind of want it to be American so I can get the Quinella. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I don't know what five. that is. Oh, wait, Quinella, is Quinella four or Quinella five? Do you know horse racing? I don't even know. What you're anyway, it's horse, no. it's horse racing. It's horse racing. You pick okay, one through like, whatever. And it, I thought that was like when you pick one, two, three, and then I think Quinella might be four. Anyway, whatever. Okay. Those out there who know what I'm talking about will laugh. Those who think I'm an idiot because anyway, because anyway, they know horse racing better. But I'm trying to make that American, and then I fly home from Portland to, excuse me, from Denver to Portland on Southwest. So just a circus. I had all five airline screen ups on different browsers, checking the flights and doing all. It was just, it was zany. And I talked to Jason Quick about it. And he's been doing that for 20 years. So he basically just said I was a rookie, which I am. So anyway, well, good, good times. Good luck with that. <laughs> I know, dude, there's no way I'm not going to forget. There's no way on one of these trips I'm not going to go to the wrong gate. <laughs> it's just impossible. Anyway. Well, we hope you get there and you get there safely. <laughs> I figure in this four games, I make it to over under how many I make it to or two and a half. That's the over under. <laughs> All right. That's it for the Blazer Focus podcast. Uh, thanks for joining myself, Aaron Fentress, and Andrew Thien, our podcast coordinator. Are you coordinator, podcast coordinator, or podcast editor? I like coordinator better. I like coordinator. I think you should change it to coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Orchestrator. Uh... The Nick Aliotti is the in the Nick Den, but don't break podcast. Here. Exactly. All right. Check us out next time. Be sure to leave us a positive feedback and click the subscribe button. And we'll be back next week as we dive into this team while they're out on their first long road trip to Charlotte, Philly, and Cleveland. Will they bring Ben Simmons back from Cle- from Philly? Probably not. But anyway, we'll, talk to- we'll see you all then. Thanks for listening. I need coffee.